All right, all right. Settle down, everyone. I've called to order this meeting of the nerd fraternity, Nerdus, Greek Lettericus, Alabamicus. And we're here to discuss uh, this week, what do we do when our super popular movie uh, that is R-rated and full of graphic nudity and other content, what if we want to put that on the ABC network? Uh, Any ideas? Any ideas? None? Hmm. Well, maybe we should just talk about Delta House, where they did that very thing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The More You Nerd, the only podcast where Miles and I subject ourselves to things like this. My name is Drew, and today we have another TV adaptation, Delta House, the spinoff of the hit movie National Lampoon's Animal House. Yes, they did an Animal House TV spinoff, and no, no one has watched it but us. Miles, how are you? Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned that, Drew, because I I was thinking if if I put more thought into the production of this podcast, um, which says a lot about me, it would be kind of funny to do some sort of skit or MST3K based idea that explains why we do this to ourselves other than we are gluttons for cultural punishment, uh, which we absolutely are. And I, I got to say... I feel I feel like I don't don't know how to how to adequately put this into words. Nothing makes me happier than sharing a terrible adaptation with you. (laughs) There 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 is something about it um, that (laughs) just one, it makes me happy because it's no one would do this. Like, no, this show is is ridiculous. The idea that we discovered that the show existed is ridiculous. And I don't know something, something about watching poor adaptations of hit movies really makes me happy. Something about mining through that stuff with you. It's the whole reason we were going to do a syndicated uh, genre based show in the first place is there, there is something about talking with a friend about these weird aspects of pop culture that makes me very, very happy, no matter how much I'm suffering. Yeah, and unfortunately, there is a side effect of this in that we try to find as much history as we can for some of the the thought processes behind these things. But in in our research, and granted, our, our budget is very small for research, there's just not a lot for some of these things. We, we Yeah, I mean... We, oh, sorry, we, know, we know that... that Animal House was a hit, hit film. It made $141 million off of a budget of $3 million. We're talking critical success. Well, not Especially critical in success seven, in, in, the, in the 70s. That's a massive, massive return. And I was able to find a, a news article from uh, around the, t- the season that the, that the show came out because... The show came out the next year. Yeah, I feel it, like. it had to be pretty quick. So quick that 
we know we look at this. It's it's not called Animal House the series. It's called Delta House. Don't know why there was a difference in 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 transition uh, in, in titling, I should say. But we have a number of characters that play that were in the movie that play their characters. Dean Wormer, played by John Vernon, is in the movie in the show. Stephen First is uh, who played Flounder in the 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 movie also plays Flounder on the show. You've got the actor who plays D-Day, the actor who plays Hoover, all reprising their roles. But then you have a lot of folks that are re- completely recast. Most of the rest of the cast, in fact, is <laughs> is completely recast. Uh, they do not, however, recast Bluto Blutarski. Instead, they have Bluto's brother. Blotto Blutarski take over, who is played by Josh Mostel, who is the son of comedic actor Zero Mostel, which is which is funny uh, and interesting. And uh, most people may know him as uh, the elementary school principal from Billy Madison. Uh, if you uh, <laughs> if you know that scene. <laughs> so you, you talk about how they, they changed the title. I think especially at a time where, you know, not as many sequels existed it wasn't too much of a of a thought process on how to do a spinoff i feel like they thought naming it delta house which was the the popular house of this movie that was a a cultural phenomenon this movie like you said made 148 million dollars the box office the rentals brought in like 80 million dollars alone after the fact this is why that they wanted to make a tv show they wanted to continue to milk this this became a cultural hit apparently according to the article that i read from 1978 of i think at usa today like this was what inspired a lot of college campuses to host toga parties and engage in a lot of the frat rituals that became commonplace in the 80s and 90s and we're we're not going to get into a ton of animal house specifically we did both take take a look at it miles watched the whole thing i just kind of went through it because i've seen it oh no i watched half of it okay but uh, yeah. but it, it's it's important to note that the creators of of Animal House were involved in the production of this show. Uh, John Landis directed the movie. It was written by uh, uh, Harold Ramis and Douglas Kinney and Chris Miller, and they were all associated with with working on on the the the, the TV show. In fact, in, in, in some cases, like. Ramus, Kenny and Miller wrote the pilot to the TV show. Uh, there is some creative DNA there. I don't actually. Which don't... Is, is so interesting because you can see the DNA into how this feels like a continuation, but it feels so stilted because you can tell those specific people are being. For lack of a better word, sanitized by network television. They, yeah. are, they are not playing the. the there's a reason that script does not feel as natural as the subsequent episodes. The The other thing that doesn't feel as natural is that this show is loaded with a laugh track, a canned. Yeah, this, this, this was definitely not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, this is that's, a, that's the wild thing about it. <laughs> this is a canned laugh track. And 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 it's 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 extremely interesting. Uh, some other notable changes. The character of Boone from Animal House not in the TV show at all. Uh, you've got you've got Hooper and you've got Otter and you've got Pinto and Flounder and D-Day. And well, you've got Blotto Blutarski instead of Bluto Blutarski. But you don't have Boone at all. 
not referenced, not <laughs> talked about, at least not in any of the episodes we saw, uh, which I found kind of interesting. And I don't remember how the movie ended, whether Boone, uh, you know, whether Boone disappears from the from the movie. I don't think he does, but, you know, um, I, I honestly do not remember. and I didn't finish, so it's hard for me to say. <laughs> um, uh, but 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 to to the to continue the point of as to why they named it Delta House. Remember, at this time, most viewers got their information completely from their newspaper, a local TV guide and an advertisement themselves. And every single ad under Delta House had based on National Ant Lampoon's Animal House in bold under it. And I would imagine the commercials did the same thing. So I feel like if anyone saw an ad for this thing in the paper or in the TV guide or on TV, the association to Animal House was made for them. You're probably right about that. And when you listen to the theme song to the TV show, which is... <laughs> not bad honestly it's all right it's all right it's it's way better than the ferris bueller one it's literally another song it's uh yeah. it, 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 it but it was written by somebody who then took the <laughs> took the song the melody and turned it into uh, a song called dead ringer for love that meatloaf and Cher did together and then he took the lyrics and turned them into a song called Tonight is what it means to be young from uh, the movie Streets of Fire. Uh, and uh, and that's what you get. Uh, oh, I, I can't play it for you, but it, it, it's it's a it's an interesting. <laughs> it, incidentally, Meatloaf was an alternate choice consideration for the role of Bluto in Animal House uh, if Belushi had dropped out, which is which is pretty good. Pretty good. Um, in addition, though, to to the to the cast members returning in the recast uh, uh, others. You have, of course, all, all the Omegas uh, of the, the rival Omega house got recast. But then you've got a couple of new faces and the new faces are the two new female characters. You've got Muffy Jones, who is a, a, another freshman at Delta House or not at Delta House at Faber College, uh, who is the girlfriend of Pinto. She kind of takes the place of the girl he was dating and seeing in the movie, which is a whole other thing that is really not not something that that I think would <laughs> would be appropriate in 2021 as we're having this conversation. Uh, but you've also got another character referred to as Bomb or the Bombshell, who is another friend of the Deltas, played by none other than <sighs> Michelle Pfeiffer in one of her very first acting yeah. roles. And it's kind of clear that, that she's a star like it's it's like when we watched Jennifer Aniston and Ferris Bueller, when you have someone, no matter how young and, and inexperienced they were at that point in their lives, you can tell they have something. And and with Pfeiffer, you can really tell she's got something she's you can tell she's smarter than the material that she's given. She's very funny in a lot of the stuff she does. And she's in every single episode. And she apparently looks at the show somewhat fondly. I didn't find any recent interviews but she referred to it as good exposure to get her foot in the door in Hollywood. And while this series didn't last, she got noticed. And her career is is kind of an example as to this is what happens. Yeah, because let's look at her filmography. I mean, she does. In 1979, or she's on an episode of, of Fantasy Island in in 1978. She is in all 12 episodes she didn't even have lines in half of these episodes. 
in some of these episodes, you can barely tell it's her because the transfers are so bad. (laughs) Yeah, the stuff we watched, some some wonderful soul tried to transfer their VHS tapes onto uh, into digital. It didn't either. The VHS tapes were just that bad or the transfer just wasn't that great or both. And so there are many moments where you just get this weird uh, <laughs> bit of tape going over. It's, it's, it is it's, on, it's it, a rough it, watch. It was honestly very, very nostalgic for me watching like a, a VHS tape you've watched a thousand times. Right. Yes. It, it did have that kind of uh, warm glow of watching something and, when you were a, a kid. A couple of the episodes actually had little tiny bits of commercials, like mm-hmm. the pilot episode that you watch as the end credits are rolling tells you like wonder woman's coming up next <laughs> something like that like it was taped in 1979 uh so but anyway so 1979 she does those she does she does a 10 episode tv series in 1980 but then she does she she starts getting a ton of acting work she got, does grease 2 in 1982 which i mean grease 2 is grease 2 but then in 83 it's scarface and Lady and that's Hawk, which is of Eastwick married to the mob. Lady Hawk is a really good fantasy movie that I feel like no one talks about. I've never seen it. Uh, oh, OK, well, well, we'll fix that at some point in time. So it's, it's just it's just funny that she's like. A decade from from Catwoman <laughs> right here, which is just so, so interesting to, to say. But anyway, so yeah. so that's that's really when it comes to to Delta House the background and some of the changes. Now we're going to go yeah. in. We, we watched four episodes. Well, I watched five episodes because you I told five. because I told miles the episode numbers and then I proceeded to watch the wrong one. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, but I, I was, I was busy enough to where I was like, I'm not adding another one onto my plate. <laughs> um, but what's funny and, is and to- I, what's funny about the episode, the, the extra episode that I watched is it has one of the most, subtly subversive things that happens in this show and something that i i i'm sure they did in that way to to sneak it around the censors but let's would have been interesting to see this show go forward because i think they were building something a little bit stronger unfortunately while the show actually did decently in the ratings the constant fighting between maddie simmons ivan reitman and abc with the the latter producers fighting with ABC over the content, because again, you, you take a R-rated sex comedy, which would even talk about how this basically sparked the sex comedy in general, to a an ABC Saturday night eight o'clock sitcom, and at the time, the eight o'clock Saturday night slot was called the Family Hour. <laughs> so, I mean, there's it's a there's so a wild. lot of weird crisscrossing as to why this show doesn't exist because i feel like if they had aired this on a regular night and maybe maybe obviously they especially at the time because of the the um the u.s standards and practices board i feel like they could have kept some of its raciness just to you know be like yeah this is the tv version but it's not as neutered i mean if if cable and, if cable existed and then as it does now or if oh, the, this would have been on hbo or if or if fox existed then you know because oh yeah think i about, mean because with children did this literally 10 years later yeah it, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like it was a little too early for what it was trying to do um so so, so 
let's let's dive into this. Let's dive into this. Of course, we're going to talk about the pilot episode, The Legacy. Yeah. Uh, so we are. I'm still mad we didn't watch the second episode because John Hughes wrote it. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Well, maybe we'll go back to it one day. <laughs> so. Oh boy. So this episode is all about Blotto Blutarski. So we 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 are intro- we are introduced to the to the the Delta House at Faber as they are sad that their buddy Bluto has been drafted so that uh so that he's been pulled out because the that uppity Dean Dean Wormer uh worked it out so that that he could get uh get Bluto off campus. Um which by the way we're going to talk about this later. I looked up a lot of, of selective service in the United States in the 1960s <laughs> rules and regulations to figure out why some of these things happened. Uh, because this is all, because even though the show came out in 1979, it's set in 1962, like the movie is. So there's things about that. So anyway, um, but we are introduced to Jim Blutarski, also known as Blotto, who if transfers to Faber, uh, and basically taking over his brother's role, except when we meet when we meet Blotto, he's like wearing a suit and he's he doesn't drink. And of course, we find out almost immediately that that's not true. And he kind of hulks out. And I I enjoyed, honestly, this this plot point. I thought this was a funny way to introduce this character and the show. This character, this also introduces us to another new character uh, because we have a subplot of a flounder who needs to to write a paper uh, and then he, they go to to this dude who is named A.S. Einswein, which I had to see written out to figure out that, oh, this is Einstein. This is an Einstein play. He is a Delta House member who <laughs> deals with shady business like fake test papers and things like that and uh gets gets flounder a fake paper uh but then of course the dean is trying to to catch him in in a in a lie and so he puts him up for this very prestigious test called the nerdlinger test nerdlinger good lord 70s <laughs> but uh and it, 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 it becomes a whole thing. And you know what? At the end of the day, Blotto uh, pours a beer on somebody and then drinks a whole pitcher of beer and and they they win the day. Ha ha ha. Good one, Blotto. Um, and then the next time we see him in the future episode, he is literally just the the Blutarski from the movie. <laughs> right. And And I did enjoy and you can tell this was written by the original creators because of some of the overt disdain for what i would call normal society in in the the reality of animal house i mean the omegas doing the nazi salute after talking about denying like people of color and and jewish people into the fraternity is certainly a choice (laughs) and i think that kind of dark humor I was honestly surprised they did it in the show. I would, I would, I would not have been surprised to see that in the movie. Um, and despite the fact that Nerlinger uh, or um, is that his name Niedermeyer, Niedermeyer, Niedermeyer looks like he's about forty-five, <laughs> and I can't tell. Like I had the, I had to like the one of the reasons I wanted to go back and watch the movie is like, does he work for the college or is he just? Oh no, no, he's supposed to be a college student. Um. That 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 kind of uh, set me off, but I did I did think that some of those jokes were were really funny. 
And then some of the stuff where you could tell they were like, anytime that uh, the Dean insults someone, when he tells Flounder to, to take a chair or take a seat and he sits on the floor and he goes, in a chair, you hula hoop. <laughs> I mean, it's it's objectively funny 30 years later watching how bad of an insult that is. But like it's it's it doesn't land. You know, know what I mean? A, like there's a timing to it that works for me, but it's because it, I see it. It, wor- it works. Here's the thing is it, it works as a piece of like, oh, that's bad. I don't think it works as an actual comedy zinger. If that makes sense. Like, I, I don't think that line lands the way that they were hoping it landed. See, I don't know. I disagree with that one in particular because I do find myself laughing at it. I'm also just easily I, I'm easily pleased by stuff like this. Like it. it this I compare this to something like Ferris Bueller that we did a few weeks ago. The Ferris Bueller TV show did not really work for me at all. And I'm watching I'm watching Delta House and I'm watching this and it's clearly not Animal House. It's clearly diet caffeine free Animal House. Um, <laughs> it's Animal House zero sugar. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got it, it's it's definitely lost something. Um, but it's very interesting you point out that that bit with the with the Omega House and the <laughs> and the Nazi, Nazi salute. salute. Because oh, and and the person who's who's actively serving their their drinks is a person of color. And and he, he gives a look to the camera, which is pretty. Yeah, funny it's it's a it's a genuinely funny moment. And th- that's the thing is this show does have some genuinely funny moments. I feel like if this show hadn't been almost like a Power Rangers esque. Okay, what scheme are we going to try to get rid of Delta House this week? If that hadn't been so consistent and they had done a and and maybe they do in, in the in the episodes we didn't watch. I feel like there could have been more here. Yeah, and keep in mind we only watched four four, four, oh, four episodes, the episodes out of 13. So we didn't even watch half of it. But again, we 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 sometimes go into this picking and choosing because we don't know how something's going to land and we don't have a lot of time. Uh, but, and we skipped around. We watched episodes one, four, six, and 11. And 12. <laughs> and you watched 12. So, I mean, we didn't just watch the first four episodes. We, we did skip around. So, so this is where I want to take a look at some of the other things that happened because I picked these episodes because I read some of the episode descriptions and thought, okay, this is interesting. This is an interesting microcosm of what life is like in 1979 reflecting upon life in 1962 and i say that when it, yeah. when we start talking about episode 4 the guns of october so they there was a speech by john f kennedy uh that is is broadcast uh to to the to the students of faber and it's literally about the 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 uh cuban missile crisis it's john f kennedy's cuban missile crisis speech uh, and where he's telling telling the world that if there are missiles in Cuba and if if the Russians launch those missiles, then the U.S. will respond in kind. It's a very famous speech. But and I have to keep reminding myself that this is this is not what happened in 79. This is what happened in <laughs> in 62. But and it's a constant cultural thing to make a, a sitcom of times past. I mean, we see it in the 80s with Happy Days, that 70s show, even stuff like Stranger Things. Like we were, we we're always making content about, 
you know, basically when 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 the writer was growing up. Yeah, the the Wonder Years. I mean, it's it's a constant. Exactly. Thing. So but, I will say the the moment you're talking about has one of my favorite little gags. I think that we watched, and it's when Blotto, like, balls up this what looked I thought was gonna be like a giant spitball or something, and then casually walks over to the window chucks it at this dude riding a bike that again i thought this gag was gonna be that he just wants to to ream someone who's riding their bike the guy catches it and tosses a pizza box up to the class <laughs> it was a great it was a good gag he it catches was- it and just sits down and enjoys a pizza and that is the kind of like that would definitely it was a bluto type animal houseism that i really appreciate i thought that was it's so dumb and so silly that would only happen in a sitcom or in a comedy like animal house and it it was played so well and i really really enjoyed that gag it was a good gag and there were some really good gags in this episode but there were some gags that i think they pulled back on that i find you know again would we will see what this episode would could have been if it was the creator the original creators doing an r-rated thing but the whole point of this episode is that faber college has a a uh like a um like a like a civil defense civil defense a civil defense department and fund and it turns out that the omegas have been funneling all of the money from the civil defense fund away from things like a loudspeaker to create this underground fallout shelter with all of this (laughs) all of this uh uh food and water to last for 23 years or something like that it's it, it's this, funny. This births my other favorite gag in the show, I think. <laughs> so the and then, of course, the the radio that Einswein Einswein back again uh, is faulty. And he in the middle of trying to broadcast that they're going to do a drill ends up making everyone think that the that the Russians have launched nukes and the world goes crazy. Uh, of course, the Omegas all disappear into their fallout shelter and the deltas decide to throw a welcome russians party <laughs> i i love that i also i mean this again i need to see who who wrote this specific episode this was um richard whiteley oh, and russ or so, so richard whiteley wrote uh rock and roll high school so that oh. makes a lot of sense um and did a lot of teen writing for for shows like um roswell and I think he also did some running for Roseanne, too. So uh, this makes sense as to why this this episode feels like it's got one, like a sense of fun and a, and a sense of, of of political bite to it. Um, I love the Welcome Russians party. I also really love how there are certain things that when I'm making fun of the Omegas, I feel like a lot of times the jokes don't always land. But there is a specific joke where uh niedermeyer forgets the radio but not the hollandaise (laughs) and they they comment on that like oh man i i bet they bought they bought hollandaise sauce but didn't even bring a radio or something some of that effect because they they realize they can't see that nothing actually happened in the bunker they still think that things are are about the nukes are about to, to launch and go off this is this is where this is another thing that i absolutely love in that this episode is this this episode honestly sold me on the show (laughs) this episode also had like rip off open packets of scotch and vodka (laughs) oh yeah a lot a lot of the the ripoff names are great 
Um, and then this is the well, you know Drew Knight's first look at the bombshell because we didn't watch uh, episodes two or three, and it's just immediately you can just tell that there is someone talented in the room, even if they're not utilizing her uh, to the best of her ability. Um, I also want to know why she's friends with the Deltas. Like uh, that's the origin story I want to see. So what's funny about that is friends with the Deltas is a very interesting context because we see her making out with otter in this episode Uh, Mm -hmm. we see her making out with otter in the beginning in the theme song of every episode after this (laughs) and a couple episodes before um but they are not together and well we'll we'll get to that when we get to the bonus episode that i watched but what i loved about this is that this is almost a revenge of the nerd style thing that they pull at the end because the delta the omegas have this periscope that is around the that comes out of the jockey holding a lantern on their frat house lawn which is just ridiculous <laughs> it's so good. Uh, that and 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 this is not a revenge of the nerds-esque thing revenge of the nerds pulls a delta house that's thing. true because revenge of the nerds wasn't until several years later before so yeah so uh but they they of course stage that the world has been destroyed <laughs> so that the deltas uh uh you know or so the omegas freak out and then of course then they knock on the door and let them know that everything is okay which is you know i think a bit of a cop-out ending but uh this, this yes this is the thing where i look at what they what they set up they set up omega house having all of their omega house brothers and dean Wormer and one of the Omega's girlfriends and the the secretary of the dean as the only two female members of the occupancy of the the shelter. And that is a joke that I expected them to comment on, but they did not comment on that mm-hmm. at all. I, I, I agree. Uh, well, another thing that they didn't comment on that I wish someone had commented on is the entire time. Because we're led to believe that they're in this in this bunker for a while. Dean Warner never takes off his coat and hat (laughs) the entire time, even sitting down for dinner. He is in his full outfit. And does he bring his wife to the bunker? No, no. He brings his secretary. Does I guess Oh, they do refer to his wife in this show. Yes. And we meet her in the movie. We know he has a wife. So I thought that was very, very funny. And then, yeah, the staging of the bomb is just so well done. It's so funny. And this is where I really thought. And it's not that the rest of the show just completely drops the ball, but like I was like, okay, they 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 actually have something because it's very seldom that a college based sitcom goes for very long. I mean, some of the ones that I remember, like uh, Save Above the College Years, Undeclared. Undeclared undressed they never lasted very long and it's too bad because most of them are pretty funny and despite the fact that you know this is very made for tv and you know family hour definitely not the source material which i'm not in love with to begin with i'm not a massive animal house fan so it being it walking a different path doesn't bother me this show i think i think the i think the promise is definitely made with episode four. I think there's a lot they could have done to keep the show around. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into episode six. Again, an episode I, I picked because of the subject matter. So Dean Warmer is 
again, once again, upset with the Delta House. And he just he determines with the help of of Niedermeyer and and a couple of other people that the the member D-Day, who who was also in the movie, played by the same same uh, actor in the in the, the TV series, is the the glue that holds the Delta House together. So if they can get rid of him, they can crumble Delta House. So they decide to get him drafted again. This is something that came up in the in the pilot that they got Blotto or the Bluto dra- drafted, and that's why he got, he wasn't there. But so they they affect his. Uh, so I had to look this up because I was like, well, this is post Korea pre Vietnam. What was the deal with selective service? What was the deal with the draft? The draft did exist in 1962. It was not as active as it would be in a time of war. And uh, and there were deferments if you were uh, in college specifically or if you were studying to be, uh, uh, you know, a, a skilled labor, a trade skill, sciences and things like that, things that could help the American war machine. Uh, you you got you could get a deferment and not have to 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 get to get drafted um right and again there were you may not and never have been drafted it was because the draft numbers then were a lot smaller than they would have been in a time of war um but they did exist the 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 draft did in fact exist uh so they they would start drafting a little more as we started sending people as advisors into vietnam which was going to happen shortly after this I don't know whether it was happening right in 1962. I don't think that happened until 63 or 64. But again, history lessons. Uh, so they decide to get they decide to get D-Day drafted. Uh, and so D-Day decides, you know, this is a new challenge. He's going to he's he's going to go and, and do that. So they 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 give him a big party and they send him off. And then right after they send him off, the whole dorm falls apart or the whole frat house falls apart. Hoover moves to the dorm flounder and pinto move into like this yeah man uh like a guy that's got che guevara and chairman mao posters all over <laughs> and and uh yeah. and then uh uh blotto just decides to go live in a tree <laughs> so he, he goes up a tree. yes so one of the things that i really liked about this and and in watching this episode made me i reflect a little bit on the series itself in that they they make D-Day this kind of a lot more of a chill character for someone who rides a motorcycle into the frat house. Yeah, I don't remember D-Day having a line in the movie. Oh, he does. I know that he I know that he doesn't speak much. He's got a he much, doesn't speak much and he usually speaks more tough. And here he's kind of like the den father. Yeah, like in 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 Animal House, I watched a little bit of Animal House earlier today. He's the guy that rides the motorcycle in and then not speaking to poor Pinto before Pinto is even a member of Delta House. He does that thing where he flicks his his Adam's apple and does the William Tell overture on it and then. Yeah opens a beer for him that he gets from somewhere. I don't know where he got that beer, but he hands it to him. But but here he's like, he's the guy that calms everybody down and stops people from fighting. And it's this whole thing. It's really. It's interesting. It, it's it's weird. But of course, uh, D-Day goes through, ends up. Oh, turns out he's got this weird thing that he can do that rejects him from being drafted. 
So he just goes back to the house and uh, the day is saved. Um, and everybody finds out about it. So there, there are a couple other things that I thought were, were funny. Hoover goes to, to the dorm and immediately gets roomed with two just extreme nerds. Like guys calling each other um, dumb head and lame brain and things like this, <laughs> like right and arguing over statistics. And that felt very much like a 1980s trope to me. And I know it couldn't have been because it was 1979. I didn't realize that that nerds like that. Maybe they were called nerds. Maybe they're called. Actually, I can t- they were probably called wimps is what they were probably called because that's what they were called in uh in when uh when pinto and and uh flounder go to the the omega house uh pledge thing they get called the wimp and the blimp because uh flounder's a big fat guy and uh and pinto's a kind of a wimpy dude but um i don't know i'm probably overthinking that it's not really important this episode was fun but it was just kind of an episode it it it, it, yeah it wraps up very quickly and very nicely so that you get back to the regular stuff the next week and everybody learned a lesson in the end i guess (laughs) yes um it's it's not an episode that really uh did a lot for me i honestly this is where I was like, oh, okay, I kind of see why this this show might have, you know, been a dud because right after watching The Guns of October and this one being what, two weeks later, it just it didn't do a lot for me. So a first season can have its its hiccups, especially when it's a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, general rules are the pilot is almost always not that great of almost every sitcom. And there are there are exceptions, of course, but that that tends to be the case. Um. And there's always, you know, finding your voice. And unfortunately, from the episodes that we watch, I feel like the voice is a little muddled because, at least from the episodes that we saw, the constant scheme of the week to somehow upend Delta House runs pretty thin. I don't think that concept alone can carry a show. I think Delta House itself can carry a show. But I feel like they needed to spread out some of these plans against them a little bit more. I understand that a sitcom isn't going to have an overarching plot in 1979. That's fine. I do think that there are episodes that are not about that that we didn't watch. I can tell you episode 12 is not about Delta, the Dean going after Delta House. And that's good. I mean, like, like we said, we only watched four of these episodes, which is about a fourth of them. But even that many episodes kind of being about the same thing doesn't quite win for me. I am glad to hear that it doesn't stick with that, at least at all 13 episodes. So m- moving on uh, to to the final episode that Miles watched. And again, <laughs> I accidentally watched the yeah, next one. Yeah, don't make it sound like, oh, the, fl- the last episode that Miles watched. Yeah, no, it was, my, it was on me. <laughs> I, I was... I was like episode 11 and then I watched episode 12 like a like a big dumb dummy. Uh, but that's OK, because I actually liked episode 12 a little bit. But so we will get into that. Uh, episode 11 Campus Fair. We're talking about. Revenge of the Nerds. This is the plot of Revenge of the Nerds in a 28 minute, <laughs> 24 minute sitcom. Um, the the Delta's need to win a talent contest, talent and beauty contest 
uh, on campus. It's like a Greek life festival in order to get some sort of control over Greek life on campus. And they are going to use the bombshell, the bomb to do this. But then she gets sent away on an archaeological assignment by the dean. And so they have to to sub in uh, Muffy, uh, who has a, 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 a name. Uh, but she is another one of the new characters we mentioned earlier on. She's Pinto's girlfriend, and she's she's a big fan of the Delta House. But she's not, let's say, as um, bombshell-like as a Michelle Pfeiffer in 1979 would be, if that's a fair assessment. Uh, this episode. Yeah, I'm is, not commenting. Yeah, I know. I know you're waiting for me to weigh in, and I'm just not gonna. <laughs> no, it's a smart move. That's a smart move. I'm just. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm. I dislike that that uh, that Wikipedia chooses a, in which they choose the less attractive Muffy. It's like, oh, come on. Um, but uh, no, it's just it, it, basically uh, the show paints Muffy as a less conventionally desirable person compared to a a debutante or a essentially a supermodel or bombshell and or Michelle Pfeiffer. What they do do with this episode, I thought was kind of funny because when when they do switch the. The whole thing is fixed and Warner has these judges who are basically voting for the Omega candidate every single time and giving breadcrumbs to everyone else, yes. specifically Delta House. Despite how well they do or don't do so. When the deltas switch the judges, like you do, and they're they're <laughs> go ahead, <laughs> which I have to say, the judges switching. So they they go out and they need to get new judges, but they have to get rid of the existing judges that have been paid off by the dean. And some of the ways they do this are just hilarious. It, it's very funny. What <laughs> what one of which involves uh, uh, flounder as a popcorn salesman dumping hot butter onto a or no it's mustard is dumping it's a hot dog salesman apologies not a popcorn salesman hot dogs dumping a bucket of mustard on somebody you've got <laughs> but the one that i think i like best is that uh d-day takes goes up to a janitor's closet puts a sign that says men's room on top of it pretends to walk out of it as one of the judges is walking up kind of adjusting his 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 is fly as he's doing it <laughs> the guy the guy walks in and then dj just locks the door behind him takes the sign off and walks away and that was i don't know why i find that so funny it, no it's, but it was hilarious it, it surprises me because you know we watched this month this this the movie beforehand and, and the movie i don't i don't I, I mentioned this last week i do not connect with this movie the way a lot of people do and so for a lot of the antics for this show to work for me is honestly i despite that there are aspects of the show that i find to be you know obviously bad but it's also because we watched it in sub vhs quality <laughs> this, the epi show is, this episode in particular was one of the ones that was the worst of the, of the yes it's it's genuinely charming a lot of times yeah and and often at least from what we watched generally not quite as creepy as the movie is Yes. But I love when Muffy comes out in a much more kind well, of well, so, uh, well, so we should set up the last once they replace the judges, the last uh, uh, category is the swimsuit competition. It's important to say that before we say what we're about to say. Yes, because, of course, all the other the other uh, women come out and they're wearing, you know, this 
this bathing suit and this bathing suit and this bathing suit. And of course, what do those judges say? Oh, my word. She's naked. Oh, downfall of society. (laughs) Right. And then when Muffy comes out in what almost looks like a full dress, (laughs) it's one of those 19 teens, like a bathing suit they would wear in the uh the sky city in bioshock infinite <laughs> yeah and and she's got like a nice little um got a parasol uh, umbrella a parasol yeah and she kind of looks like the what's the salt company morton's yeah that that has the, the girl with the uh the umbrella the parasol yeah, it'd be more. Uh, the, the, the old commercials had had her doing this kind of little dance that that she mimics, <laughs> and I thought that was so freaking funny. And of course, all the judges think that she is the star of the show. Uh, this this is the, a proper lady. This is the right kind of girl. I think the the, the ninety year old man is like, you know, that's a girl I can get behind or something like that. <laughs> something Which that, I just said to the show stop being creepy, and then he says that. So oh, something that that like if this were were the you know different writers that would have been a much creepier uh, <laughs> thing, right? Because it's not it's not played as a as, a, as uh, so so Miles. I'll have you notice uh, 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 this episode also written by John Hughes. <laughs> Was it? Yes, it was. Awesome. Um, that honestly makes sense because there, there, there's a lot of stuff that lands in this uh, episode, and I don't know. I I went into this really expecting to despise this show, and and everyone knows that you know I don't do that, but I really just did not expect to to come out like man, really pleasantly surprised, and despite. You know that the show definitely is is not firing on all cylinders, and despite the fact that you know you can't watch it with any modicum of of quality, I I get why this show was a ratings hit. You know I get why people seem to enjoy this show even on Saturday night during family hour. You know it might be even for those people in 1979 a little racy, but like I get why this show worked. I'm, I, it makes me want to know what the fights were about even more, because if the show was a success and people were making money, why was everyone more content to cancel the show? It was a different time. Uh, and I'm I know, sure I, I and know. I'm sure that's why I wanted to. I'm story. sure they they let they, they there was there was stuff that they wanted to do that they were just not allowed to do. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about episode 12, because I actually liked this episode uh, because okay. of something very particular that it did that I, I want to say is maybe one of the, the more salacious things they got away with doing. Uh, I also want to say that there are certain references in this, in this show that they make to things that would have been going on in the, in 1962 that are interesting, but I, a lot of them went over my head, like in the, in episode 11, um, in order to get Muffy to do it, they send uh, Blotter to go talk to her, and and she and he tells her, "Do it for Caroline Kennedy, who is President Kennedy's daughter, who would have been a little girl in the white, uh, you know, living in the White House at this time, who was, <laughs> which was, which was, and and the response was, she's so cute, and of course, I think of Caroline Kennedy as a adult woman that you know was right <laughs> involved in politics and this sort of thing and 
later on she's like i don't have anything going on in the quote jane mansfield department and i had to look up what jane mansfield meant to realize that oh she's talking about a particular part of the which is human funny. anatomy <laughs> i i know a lot about uh, her mostly because her of her connection with the church of satan ah well there you go um but uh so episode 12 hoover and the bomb uh so hoover realizes in an instant that he is in love with the bombshell and he he keep, he asks her things like you know well you know but you and 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 otter are are you just friends and she's like yeah we're just friends keep in mind that she has shown making out with otter constantly throughout the series and you and everybody else you and and blotto oh we're just friends and this person we're just friends we're just friends we're just friends I take that to be something pretty, pretty suggestive of what she means by friends. <laughs> if, if you know what I mean. Right. But he falls head over heels for her and wants to to marry her. And he's trying to buy a ring. And she doesn't know because she does love him as a friend and she doesn't want to hurt his feelings. So she lets him take it a little too far before before she says anything. And so she asks you know, the rest of the Deltas to help her with this, uh, which they do. And part of this is that they they go into to Hoover's room and there is a very uh, suggestive Marilyn Monroe poster in the background that is conveniently covered in certain spots, which I found very interesting. That was maybe the closest that you could get, but it was farther than I thought they'd go. Uh, but what they t- they're talking about, they, t- they bring up Marilyn Monroe and then all of a sudden Blotto comes into the room sad did somebody say Marilyn Monroe and then he he sheds a tear and leaves and I'd look it up takes place in 1962 in August of 1962 Marilyn Monroe died she would have Mm. been very recently deceased when this happened which is just Mm. one of those interesting things but anyway to, to go on for it they they give they give Hoover a lot to think about, and he ends up having a dream, a dream of what it would be like to be married to the bombshell. Uh, <laughs> and this is where things get weird. You see him as a plumber because that's less than a lawyer. And yeah, I know. Though let's not get into that as, as, a, as a thing. Right. <laughs> but he's covered with mud. He's covered with dirt. His boss is coming over for dinner. And as he walks in, uh, bombshell is in the kitchen with a cigarette in her mouth, holding a baby. The baby that looks a lot like Otter. (laughs) And then his other son comes through named Bobbo, who is dressed exactly like Blotto in a Bobbo gray sweatshirt. Who looks a lot like Blotto. (laughs) And that is one of the most subtle things that they could have said about what that friendship uh, with her and the, the rest of the Deltas meant, in my opinion, I I, th- I think. And then hmm. and then I because I, I, I even texted Miles about this, like, I think this is I, I, this is so suggestive. This is so subtle. And then one of the, then he says to Babo at the end of the dreams, like, I never thought you were my son. <laughs> it's like, oh, whoa, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like you never thought you were my kid. And it's like, that's probably about as far as they can get with with doing something like that. Uh, of course, he wakes up. He then lets the bombshell down easy that he doesn't want to continue their relationship. And uh, everything's fine after that, because it's a TV show that has to reset itself at the end of every episode. Yeah, which I I am very glad that we've kind of 
we haven't left it entirely. There are plenty of sitcoms and shows that do that, but I I am glad that that is not no longer the the necessary standard because I do enjoy when things have a lasting effect. And in a show like this, nothing would have really. Um, I think Mash may have had a couple here and there, but. Well, I mean, the idea, I mean, keep in mind back then, you know, you would watch the show and it could be the everybody's first time watching very that or if you miss the show, what can you do? Yeah, exactly. Very few. (laughs) Very. I was thinking about this the other day, and this is just going to be a little side, a side tangent uh, because of because I, I, I reflect about this time in television i say this time as if it wasn't something that didn't change until a couple of years ago but i one of the my favorite tv shows of all time as is known by people that listen to the show for more than 25 minutes is star trek the next generation and and really all of star trek but i didn't find out about star trek online star trek was not recommended to me i didn't see it as i was going through my netflix queue (laughs) there was no recommendation engine for it I just happened to be flipping channels and happened across it. Mm -hmm. And it was just a random episode. I don't even remember which episode it was that I I watched the first first time I watched either. I wish I did remember, but I don't. I do too. I I was thinking about it. And I never will. But, but it's one of those things where, where that's the idea. Like you had this amount of time to get people interested in what you were doing. And that is something that we don't have anymore because if you look at most tv shows especially in the streaming era that it is not what can you do to catch somebody's eyes in 25 minutes or 47 minutes it's what can you do to catch people's eyes for 12 hours for 30 hours <laughs> or or even if it's not a, a show that you binge uh they still have a continuing story like Shit's creek yeah, yeah that, that's that, that's that's a sitcom where if you watch one episode, I mean, you can get a lot to watch an individual episode by itself. The The show is written that well. But to understand a lot of the character growth, which is such a huge driving I force. I can't imagine watching that-, that show, catching an episode in the middle of season three. I just can't imagine that. Well, no, because you've watched the rest. And you've seen like what that show means when you see the growth. But if you watched a random episode, it's still very funny. Like the comedy works, but everything else about it, you you lack. And I mean, you know, cycles cycles change. You know, I, I I would guarantee that this is not the last time we have an era where you have things that are just the episode of the week or things are sectioned off that way. Um, but I I am glad that I think we see a rise in shows that don't do that is because it felt like it wasn't allowed for so long. And there are so many shows that we've talked about on this podcast, like Forever Night, that would have benefited much more with some of that through-thread storytelling. Yeah, probably so. And, I mean, even still, I, I, I know at the top of the show, I, I made some disparaging comments about having to watch Delta House, uh, a, a mission that I am entirely at fault at for. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say, I, I walked away from this show fairly charmed yeah i it's, did i did not i i was expecting the worst and maybe when you expect the worst and you get something that's even just slightly charming like it, it is interesting when i look at this show and i look at the movie because i really look at animal house the movie as being about otter and boone 
and Pinto. And the show is really about <laughs> Hoover and D-Day <laughs> and, uh, and and the, it, the it, others. It feels more, it honestly feels more about Delta House. Yeah, it doesn't like, feel all about the members of Delta House characters. feel like they're a part of the show. So, I, I mean, what else is there to say other than, you know, pour one out for a show gone before it could really find its 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 true yeah, voice. I, I'm, I'm going to say it, it is too bad that we never got a continuation or at least enough that maybe we would get a, 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 a nice DVD release of it so that we could watch it in <laughs> some type of quality. <laughs> um, watch it, watching it in in the YouTube equivalent of the Scrambled channel was certainly an interesting <laughs> experience that I didn't think I was ever going to have again. Um, but I, I got to say, like you, I, I found that aspect of it somewhat charming as well there's there's a nostalgia um, factor that our uh, my children will never know it's, yeah, it's you know what though that's okay you know that's okay I, I can have my nostalgia for it i know it's a very specific thing for a specific generation and that is all right but yeah if um if you didn't watch this show with us and anything we said sounds remotely entertaining all of it is on YouTube in in the worst quality that you can find, which honestly adds a no, little bit of pageantry I'm, to it. I'm going to tell you, it's not in the worst quality you can find it. It's in the best quality that you can find it. <laughs> because that is um, as good as it's going to get. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would I would actually recommend just popping through some episodes. And like I said, I, I the pilot didn't do a lot for me. But as soon as I got to see something with a, a title card and a theme song and I... I really got into it and um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if if some afternoon or evening when I'm very bored, uh, I, I watch a random episode of it. Yeah, this is one of and, those. This is one of those things where I can imagine like, did you guys know there was there was an Animal House TV show? Did you guys know about that? I mean, that's the whole reason we, we we're doing this theme. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and and if my comment about James Manfield and the Church of Satan sounded uh, sort of interesting, there is a documentary about the subject called Mansfield 6667 that you can watch on Tubi right now. Um, it is a really interesting documentary about the final years of James Manfield or Jane not, Manfield and yeah, like Jane Manfield. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jane Manfield. <laughs> and um, I, I, I definitely highly recommend if, if that sounded interesting to you. But. But none of that compares to what we are doing next week. I am very, very excited to let everyone know that Drew and I, for our final TV adaptation this time, will be doing 1994's RoboCop the series. This is the live action series, not a cartoon. Which, which which there's a cartoon apparently. <laughs> yeah, there there are two different cartoons, and this is a show that another one a lot of people don't know exists, and one that for whatever reason, because I was a massive RoboCop fan as a kid, I somehow watched this, and and one of the episodes that we are going to be doing is is the one that is I think the clearest in my memory. I don't know because I haven't watched this show in over 20 years if the main villain even is part of the episodes that we are going to watch. We're going to watch episodes one and two, the future of law enforcement. So it's a two hour pilot. We're going to watch episode seven, Ghosts of War. 
and episode 14, RoboCop vs. Commander Cash. As with Delta House, all of this is currently on YouTube. Um, it is one that the the rights, I guess, have been flip-flopping for years. I know that it did get a, um, a Region 1 DVD in Canada that is out of print because I would have bought it. <laughs> and Drew, you, you watched this as a kid too, right? So I, I don't know where I came across it. I want to say it may have been on one of those like daily syndication slots on the sci-fi channel when the sci-fi channel was first a thing. I, I can't imagine where else I would have seen it. Did you ever have anything with something called the action channel? If I did, I can't tell you that. Because that I think is where I saw it initially was something called the action channel. Um, and I, I, I remember loving this show. I remember trying to figure out when it came on. I, I remember buying the CD soundtrack <laughs> to this show. And <laughs> I am very, very curious to go back and watch this. I, I do love some RoboCop and I love the fact that he's, you know, in his classic suit. This was something that was done around the time that RoboCop 3 came out. I, be, uh, I as, believe as the, the, the same actor is in uh, like Richard Eden, I want to say, was RoboCop 3. Maybe not, though, actually. I think he's only in the series. I don't think he's. Um, now, Robert Burke was was RoboCop in the in RoboCop 3. So this is a yeah, I, I think in certain territories, the the pilot was billed as RoboCop 4. Hmm. Which is wild because I'm looking at a, a DVD right now that says RoboCop 4 Law and Order. And so it must have been maybe a, a Canadian release or maybe a, a European release. RoboCop has had a very odd history when it comes to TV because there, there was also a series of sci-fi uh, channel movies called Prime Directives that yeah, which, which also, I have not seen um, came out. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go back in time and, and check out this uh, <laughs> potential disaster or potential uh, disaster piece. We'll see. <laughs> we will see. Uh, so, until next time, Drew, tell people where they can find us. You can, of course, find us and all of our archives at themoreunerd.com. You can tweet to us at themoreunerd. You can go to facebook.com slash themoreunerd and check out everything we have going on there. And of course, you can email us if you have any questions, comments, ideas for something you want us to cover. Themoreunerd at gmail.com. That's themoreunerd at gmail.com. Dot com. And of course, if you would like to deck yourself out into some sweet, sweet nerd threads, you can do so at the more you nerd, the more you nerd dot threadless dot com. So until next time, we're going to end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd, nerd. out. out.